The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. I'm proud to call it home. This is my country. And I'll never stand alone. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on a beautiful California Sunday morning. Um, a a morning when you know we're going to complain about the heat at in the high eighties, maybe ninety degrees, while New York swelters in a hundred and eight. Oh, oh, and that humidity. Ooh, my heart goes out to those folks. Soon this will pass. <clears throat> there are plenty of folks out there trying to inflame your passions. But my purpose is different. I've come to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment, whether it's supporting a candidate, making a contribution, signing up as a volunteer in a nonpartisan effort, but being get I want to persuade you that it's your responsibility as well as your privilege to be an involved member of uh, how we govern ourselves. I'm an objective observer, a pragmatist who has no party preference. I root for America with a capital A. I root for the red, white, and blue. I root for the U.S. Coast Guardsman who jumps on a drug-smuggling semi-submarine and just bangs with his fist on the hatch until the smugglers surrender. He's risking his life to save countless other lives by keeping that drug poison out of the United States of America. So you talk about tenacity, an American characteristic. Now, I'm sure that the, that particular Coast Guardsman's wife and mother, when they saw the video, were saying, what were you thinking? But you get my point. I root for the furniture maker in North Carolina who sent me a personal thank you this week. You know, it's my pleasure to buy his fabulous Made in America products. But I certainly am not rooting for the leadership or the rank-and-file members of either political party this week. Not a single member of the House, 
the Senate or the executive wrapped themselves in glory this week. Even consistency of message flew out of the window. This week, I had planned to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the first two men to set foot on the moon. Yep, I remember my face scrunched up to the little black and white television set where these two tiny figures were. I wonder if my brother remembers it the same way I do. And I was also going to talk about how excited I am about some examples of intelligent, much-needed modernization of the federal government, even if sometimes blunted by the ham-handed way that these reforms are being implemented. But those things will have to wait, because the ugliness of what passes for public and media discourse in this country in 2019 has gotten in the way again. As a businesswoman, I embrace the efficiency of reuse whenever I can. So I hope that MSNBC's Brian Williams will not mind if I borrow a little of his opening monologue from last Monday night, because it fits so well with what we unfortunately need to talk about this morning. And I quote, Day 908 of the Trump administration. While there is no joy in it, one way of summing up today is this. Our government is broken. Our politics are broken. Washington is no longer functional. And the cracks in our society are deepening. And that's the end of the quote. But Brian Williams' assessment was borne out in the numbers this week. Polling numbers. A YouGov poll on Wednesday found that respondents split 48 yes, 48 no on the question, and I'm going to quote the question, generally speaking, do you think it's appropriate or inappropriate to say to people, if you don't like things, how things are in the USA, you can leave? The split was 48 yes, 48 no. I thought the other 4% are either not paying attention or would have said yes, but they didn't think it was the politically correct thing to say. Because it's easy to say no to a poll question. It's harder to say yes. So when they give you a third option, think of it that way. And on Friday, another poll by Quinnipiac found respondents less divided. 54 yes to 42 no on the question. And again, I'm going to quote, did Trump attempt to obstruct justice? Well, that same 4% haven't been paying attention, but maybe they've changed their mind since the judge in the Southern District of New York released all the evidence concerning Michael Cohn's co-conspirator number one on Thursday. Let's remember that Michael Cohn is sitting in a federal penitentiary this morning serving time for federal election campaign um, law violations. And co-conspirator number one named in the Cohn indictment is sitting in the White House. Wait, I thought it was just individual one. Oh, 
the judge this week called him a co-conspirator. Oh, he's been upgraded. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, but but the official indictment did call him unindicted um, individual number one. But we all know. I mean, the question is the same, Vince. As long as he's number one, that's all that really matters to him, right? Is winning, being the best, being the top, being number one. I yes. think that's important. Yes. And, and, he's, I, he might and actually, he's loving, and he is loving the fact that there is this Department of Justice ruling that says you cannot indict a sitting president. I, I know that Mueller has referred to that as being constitutional, but I'll look forward to his explanation of why, because I've read the Constitution more than once and I don't see that clause in it. I just find it ironic that the implementer is in jail and the other and 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 the uh, uh, the principal um, behind the initiative is in the White House. That is kind of a first in uh, American presidential history. But not really, right? Nixon. People went to jail for Nixon, and he didn't go to jail. Well, but he had to actually get a pardon. You know, Ford granted him an unconditional pardon for all crimes he may have committed, um, those crimes having been enumerated in um, the articles of impeachment that forced his resignation. Um, and and Ford was very clear about the fact that he did that because he wanted to end the long national, the, the long national nightmare. Now, it is also true that Bill Clinton did have to admit to lying under oath and surrendered his Arkansas law, law license, but that was a civil case um, in which he was found to have perjured himself. So you could have gotten him too. So I guess we say if you can get yourself elected president, it's kind of a get-out-of-jail card even if all your enablers end up behind bars. And you know what? I don't think that's fair, but let's talk about that a little bit more along with what our friends in Congress did and didn't do this week when we come back from our first commercial break. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. Um, and does it matter that 54 or maybe as many as 58 percent um, of respondents, remember, it's easier to say no than yes in a in a poll. Um, think the president is guilty of some form of obstruction of justice. Doesn't seem to matter in terms of his overall job approval rates ratings, which hit an all time high at fifty percent this week. Um, and you know, part of that is that I think the Democrats are not helping themselves. I mean. The same folks who cannot agree on an increase in the national debt, um, in the national debt ceiling, while the government threatens that it's going to run out of money to pay the bills in just six weeks, the first of September, 
And we're one week before the month-long August recess. So that House of Representatives did have time to vote 240 to 187 to condemn President Trump as a racist. Um, That was, you know, that was a really important, um, more important than the debt ceiling. Um, And then they tabled a new set of articles of impeachment based on the prior resolution on a purely Democratic vote of 137 to 95. Now, they had time for all of those votes, but they can't come up with a bill. And Nancy Pelosi said that they had to have something in writing by last Friday, you know, a deal with the Republicans, with both Kevin McCarthy and um, and Mitch McConnell and the White House by last Friday so they could write something up, I quote, Uh, That's quote, unquote, write something up like a little note that says, oh, let's raise the debt ceiling to round numbers, twenty five trillion dollars. Okay, so they had to get that done by last Friday night in order to post it so that they could conform to their own rules and vote on it by Wednesday. Well, it's now Sunday morning. And if you have found that um, multi page legalistic statement that says, oh, we're just going to increase the credit limit on the credit card um, willy-nilly, um, then you've been paying more attention than I have, and I doubt that. So um, I don't I don't know how you're going to get the debt ceiling um, increase passed next week before the August recess, uh, but we did have time for several show votes. And and lots of, lots of bills did pass from... Um, committee, about 25 bills passed out of committee and onto the House um, calendar last week. But again, there's no time to vote on those before the August recess. And by the time that recess is over, whatever will have happened may make some of them um, less relevant. But the really important stuff, like a budget and an increase in the national debt ceiling to ensure the full faith and credit of the most powerful economy in the world, that fell to the wayside. And the fact that those resolutions were passed, that they became important, um, in that fact lies both the gut-level political evil genius of Donald Trump and another nail in the coffin of the Republican Party. And both can be true at the same time. That doesn't mean for one second that I think the conservative movement in the center-right country that um, the USA is, is dying. In fact, I think the opposite is probably true. But the branding of the party in the minds of the public, those who will cast ballots in 2020, in 2024, and 26 especially the younger voters who don't remember a different Republican Party, that branding is, well, somewhere between awful and politically incorrect, especially, as I said, in the minds of a young, diverse future population, in the minds of the third of this country that is college-educated, a large portion of that um, naturalized citizen immigrants. Um, It's also... That branding is is suffering in the minds of suburban white moms who are a huge voting block. You know, we used to call them soccer moms. And in the minds of the older black women 
who spent their youth as Republicans. Think about Colin Powell or Condoleezza Rice or Karen Watson, who will become a guest on this show in the next couple of weeks. So if you've lost all those people, it's kind of your own fault. Because if I look at it from a go-to-market strategy point of view, after the discussion we had last week about hashtag stay woke and the outrageous comments of members of the squad. Oh, yeah. It's the squad. They're taking names. They are. And they're writing them down. And Watch out for the squad. And they're, they're coming giving, for you. And they're giving quotes. I mean, Donald Trump, if I were you, I'd have just shut up and watched while Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was giving interviews to the New York Times that insinuated that Nancy Pelosi is somehow a racist or coming right out and accusing Native American and freshman Congresswoman Sharice Davis comes from Canvas of being a racist because she voted for the $4.5 billion in humanitarian aid for the southern border. I mean, if your competitor puts its his collective mouth in his foot, and I use he in the, in the uh, neutral uh, corporate sense, um, or I could say, if your competitor puts her collective foot in her mouth, the smart thing, what I'd advise a client, is to sit back and reap the benefits. But no, no, that pesky little devil was whispering in Donald Trump's ear this week, and he managed to turn the tables and be labeled the racist, along with the entire Republican House membership, who opposed the resolution. I think about four um, Republicans voted um, for that um, condemnation resolution. Um, and, you know, that is something Elon Omar, after her, after her Benjamins comment. Oh, yeah, it's all about the Benjamins. Yeah. They couldn't pass a resolution that condemned that as anti-Semitic. But they got Trump. You know, I love hypocrisy. I don't care if you're in business and politics or sitting on the beach. I just love hypocrites. Wait, you, are you sure that uh, there wasn't an, an attempt to at least like censure? There was Omar? an attempt. There was an attempt. There was a resolution put on the floor, and then they watered it down to be an all people, um, you know, of of color or ethnicity, et cetera, um, uh, um, wording to avoid um, singling her out because the Black Caucus thought that would be bad for her. They've, the Black Caucus has changed its mind in the ensuing, uh, kind of, sort of. But the firestorm culminated at the president's rally in North Carolina on Wednesday night, where the crowd erupted in a loud cheer concerning Miss Omar of send her back. And we're going to talk about send her back, North Carolina, and motivation when we come back from our commercial break.
listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And when we went to break, we were talking about that loud cheer of send her back in in a North Carolina Trump rally this week, which found the entire um, media world with its mouth hanging open. Oh, oh my, they loved it. Oh, my they God. They love it. Oh my, they feed off of this they stuff. Feed off, they feed off this stuff. They do feed off this stuff. It It's headline grabbing, whether you watch Fox or MSNBC or CNN. Um, it's great for business. Both and, sides love it. They yeah, love it. Yeah. It's all about the ratings and the page clicks. It's never about the whole story. So let's talk for just a moment about the whole story. And by the way, that in no way says that I think it's appropriate for anybody to chant, send her back, because I don't. You know, I mean, my parents were refugees, too. Had there been such a generous program, who knows? I might have had grandparents. But um, I, I, I found the chant of send her back to be wholly unacceptable in a pluralistic American society. But let's talk about understanding the motivations. In North Carolina, Miss Omar, in fact, the whole squad were just a metaphor for the economic and social angst that the two-thirds of voters in this country who are not college-educated whites who live in San Francisco, New York, Chicago, or Washington, well, forget Chicago, Washington, or Los Angeles, or Seattle, it's what those other two-thirds of the folks who don't live in those cities who aren't four-year college graduates or more feel. What do they feel? They see 1.8 million migrants pushing across our southern border in the last 12 months. And they saw this repeated year after year in slightly larger or smaller numbers since 2014. And with a 99% chance of these migrants remaining in the United States, despite or maybe because of our rickety immigration laws, these migrants are challenging the indigenous population for jobs, housing, and government benefits. And then they demand affirmative action for their children, uh, pitting them against the children of multi-generational white North Carolinian families who are struggling in a changing global economy. The textile industry, the rice industry, et cetera, the things that have been at the, the... forefront of North Carolina's economy are changing. I mean, they've been successful in the banking world, et cetera, but even banking is changing in a globally competitive world. So yeah, these people are feeling um, twix and tween, and, and, and I think that was part of what was demonstrated. Um, it was more a metaphor than a particular uh, person that they were um, condemning. Again, it doesn't make it right, but it would be a wonderful thing if our politicians stopped and listened and said, we hear you and we're going to work on immigration reform 
that focuses on assimilation, that says, here's what a reasonable program that is humanistic toward the would-be immigrant um, is legal, lawful, respectful, and encourages assimilation into the American way of life, I don't think you'd hear people yelling, send her back. And so while you have all of this angst brewing up among the two-thirds of non-college-educated white people, and by the way, a lot of native-born Hispanics and and certainly in the black community, which is economically threatened by this migration movement, again, Karen and I will be talking about that in a couple of weeks, what do the Democrats in Congress do? They try to thwart any attempt to stop the flow and to remove those who do not qualify for asylum under our existing asylum laws. According to Ms. Cortez, the Border Patrol is, quote, the Gestapo, quote, they are Nazis. And when Border Patrol officers respond in Facebook in a way that was entirely inappropriate for sworn law enforcement officers, they know better. There is an instant reaction of outrage coming from Miss Cortez, who, when somebody writes it down for her, is very articulate. But what she was really saying was, off with their heads. So let me say, come on, Alexandria, you're bilingual. I'd suggest that before you call people Gestapo or Nazis or SS stormtroopers, that you go take your bilingual skills down to the border and go do their jobs for a week. Put on their uniforms. Do what they do. Go out on patrol in the dark not knowing what you're going to find. Try to deal with the massive overflow of people that you don't have any control over how many come in, and you don't have any control of the forward movement of those people into either Department of Homeland Security or ICE um, custody, et cetera. Okay, you're just there on the front lines. So, Miss Cortez, take a week in this August recess, go down to the border, put on the uniform, and then you come back and tell us in Congress that these men and women, all of them bilingual, by the way, all of them living in these small towns on the border, you tell me after you've done their job for a week that they are stormtroopers. So Kevin McAleen had to sit there and take your little tirade. I don't have to. I can tell you the truth. If you want to dish it out, calling people Nazis and, and Gestapo while trying to do a job in a situation they have zero control over, in the best way they can. And yeah, there are probably some really frustrated bad apples that need to be weeded out. But let's talk about, by and large, the men and women who serve in the Border Patrol. So if you want to dish it out, you had better learn how to take it because you're asking them to. You want to be able to point fingers and make insinuations and then be treated with delicacy as though you were a little white flower. Well, this is politics, baby. It ain't beanbag. So back to the theme of why people yell, you know, um, send her back. 
There are calls among Democrats to completely disband ICE, or better yet, that we should publish the names and addresses of the officers in ICE. There are a whole 6,000 in the entire country and 13 million illegals, okay? Uh, The ratio is really nothing bad's going to happen to illegals. Um, But there have been suggestions that you should somebody should go to the homes of these people and beat up or murder some of them and their families. Democrats are saying this. Um, Some of the activists. Yeah. Okay, not like members of Congress or any. Uh, No, no, not the squad. No, not the squad. The squad. Maybe some of the squads. admirers. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the people who are incentivized by words like Gestapo and Nazi. But Democratic officials, beginning with Nancy Pelosi, certainly down to the mayors of every city in the Bay Area, have been sending out have been sending out uh, notices uh, telling people how they can avoid their final order of deportation. If you enter the United States claiming asylum and you go to court and the judge says you don't qualify under U.S. law, then we want to humanely repatriate you to your country of origin. Democrats oppose that. They talk about wanting strong borders, but they do everything they can to thwart ICE doing its job. I mean, Democratic activists refer to Barack Obama as the deporter-in-chief because under Jay Johnson's Department of Homeland Security, more than three million people who were in the United States illegally were repatriated. Nobody jailed them or beat them or whatever. They were detained, put on planes, and sent home. We didn't make them, you know, we didn't bus them back. We didn't make them walk back. We put them on a plane and sent them home. And we'll be back in just a moment with my Dear Migrant letter. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with my dear migrant note. The first law you broke, the first United States law you broke, was entering the United States without permission or papers. As Tom Friedman said this week, without ringing the doorbell. Then you violate a second order by refusing to obey a court order to leave the country, to be repatriated to your home country because you don't qualify for asylum in the United States under international law. Then you violate by by not agreeing, not accepting the final order of deportation, you violate a third law with a false Social Security card and a fourth law by using those false credentials to get a job when it's illegal for you to work in the United States. And if you were a United States citizen and you used someone else's identity, fraudulent counterfeit, social security cards, etc. That's a federal crime for which a United States citizen 
would be sent to a penitentiary. So if you want to be in America, then do it the right way. Apply to be a legal immigrant because selective enforcement of our laws erodes the sense and the fact that we are a nation of laws. Thank you, dear migrant. Because you see, part of what that chant of send her back in North Carolina meant, or or part of what caused people who were looking around at other people chanting and then joining in was a real fear that there's a different set of rules for indigenous white America and the rest of newly arrived America. And part of that fear was stoked by the first Democratic debate. And you know what? President Trump, for whatever criticisms we may make of him, feels that body politic and he seized on it. And you know what? That sense in the body politic, there's nothing new in world history or American history. You're, you don't remember, but certainly in the 19th and earliest tw- early 20th century, employers in this country used to put out signs that said, no Italian or Irish need apply because they were the scum, the downtrodden, the whatever. You know, the Great Wall of China was built to keep the Mongol hordes out of China, as was Hadrian's Wall in the Roman Empire, uh, Roman Empire's era in Great Britain. So none of this xenophobia that Trump has been able to capture, none of the angst that the uh, American, shrinking American middle class feels is new or not a part of a historic pattern. So back to my starting point, if your competitor has her foot in her mouth, as Ms. Cortez did early this week, along with her friends in the squad, then I'd keep my mouth closed. If I were Trump, I'd have gone to North Carolina and I would have stuck to the roaring economy to the successes he's had in deregulation, some of which we agree with, and his successes in trade policy, or as he calls them, successes. Again, we'll see. Um, That wouldn't stoke fear. But you know what else it wouldn't do? He wouldn't lead every newscast. And yeah, part of that tweet storm last Sunday morning was leading every newscast this week with a message he wanted to deliver. You have to give him credit. But had he stuck to how great the economy is and the success he's having at deregulation, et cetera, the body politic, the, the, the electorate would be less anxious and less politically exhausted. So I don't think America is a racist country for all the reasons of anxiety and fear that I've just outlined. But doubling down on what worked in 2016 seems to be where we're going to go in what should be a much more pivotal election on both the right and the, fi- and the left. We're going to stoke the same two things that were stoked in 2016, fear of the other and freebies, both of which appeal to the devil within 
rather than the better angels of our nature. And so on this 50th anniversary of one of mankind's greatest achievements, let's remember who we, the people of the United States of America, really are. We're the can-do, will-do, the right-thing people. But only after we've exhausted all the other possibilities, to quote Churchill. So every day... I pray for more of the Apollo spirit in everything we do to ensure that in 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, the United States of America remains preeminent in a global rules-based world. And that begins with no more freebies. We got to write our fiscal house. We've got to learn to work more collaboratively with our neighbors in this hemisphere to the north and to the south so that we don't have to battle to protect our borders. We've got to learn internally to respect our differences at home and abroad. The First Amendment is all about dissent. From this country's founded, it has followed the path of storming, norming, and then forming a more perfect union and respecting and nurturing Mother Nature. Like the Apollo 11 astronauts, we must believe in one another. We must seek leaders who believe in all of us. We need to be one united team. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. That's a message lost today on both Democrats and Republicans. And we'll be back in just a moment with some closing thoughts about stay woke when it comes to the wet dream of impeachment. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. While my calendar reminds me that I got to get up at 5:15 on Wednesday morning to tune in to the Muller Uh, to Bob Mueller's testimony on the Hill. I mean, what do these guys in Washington think? Um, With an 8.30 start at a hearing. But while while I'll be tuned in uh, listening to the testimony about what Mr. Mueller and his team found in terms of Russian involvement in the presidential election and the president's uh, possible attempts to obstruct justice... um, I don't think that Robert Mueller's appearance will change the calculus on impeachment one iota. Too many Democratic voters and Tom Steyer don't really understand the impeachment process in the Constitution. The House of Representatives can bring the charges, but only the Senate can try the president on those charges. So unless there's a tape of one of Jeffrey Epstein in one of Jeffrey Epstein's safes that shows Trump naked with an underage girl 
or somebody's got a similar image of the president taking cash from the hand of a Russian oligarch, unless one of those two conditions exist, and they don't, Mitch McConnell is not going to convene the Senate as a jury of the president's peers and hold that impeachment trial. You know what? I think he probably wouldn't do it if there were a tape. Like, I feel like like this guy is Teflon. Like, like he, he, he just got he just got uh, uh, labeled a racist by a vote in Congress. And his approval rate went up five points. Yeah. The point of my of my soliloquy some, this morning. If some sex tape comes out, he can he can. He, I don't know. I have a feeling that it, it would it wouldn't touch him. Well, yes, or but they'd, or these, or I mean, they could say something, oh, it's a deep fake or whatever, but. Uh, I, I, that's my point. There is no point in wasting the time trying to impeach him because you're right, Mitch McConnell's not taking it up. And too many people think, well, if the House, the House can, do, can impeach him and remove him from office on its own. And it's a waste of energy, folks. It is not going to happen. There's an old adage, and it's true. In this, in this circumstance, unless you're certain you can kill the king, you best not take the shot. And you know what? Nancy Pelosi knows that. She knows that the Democrats' only hope is to win in 2020. But I got to tell you, after reading Tom Friedman's opinion piece in the uh, New York Times on Monday, which then at least a half a dozen of my Republican friends both Trumpers and non-Trumpers sent me, um, Friedman got it right. He said, you know, he's effectively saying that the Democrats can choose to snatch defeat to guarantee that that they lose the 2020 election out of the jaws of a possible victory. So I'm going to quote just a teeny tiny bit, and I urge you to read, to read, Um, Friedman's piece, because it it really does state it well. You know, he's a blue dog Democrat. He's a centrist. He likes uh, Mayor Pete and um, Amy Klobuchar. But he wrote, I'm struck at how many people have come up to me recently and said, Trump's going to get reelected, isn't he? And in each case, when I drill down to ask why, I bump into the Democratic presidential debates in June. I think a lot of Americans were shocked by some of the things they heard there. I was. And that ends the quote. And that goes back to my comments about what those North Carolinians were really chanting about. The anxiety, the concept that you're going to give freebies to people who entered the country in violation of American law. So uh, I urge you to read Friedman's piece. Um, And suffice it to say that there are deep divisions in the um, in the Democratic Party. And as we preview next week, the second Democratic debate, we're going to talk about some of those deep divisions and some of those things that affect you and me. And you know what else we're going to do next week? We're going to celebrate two very consequential decisions by the Trump administration that will make for a better, cheaper, more efficient 21st century American government. And I wish you all a wonderful Sunday, a great week, and we'll talk again next week. 
subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word, and you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.